Hello and welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone to please subscribe to Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast so you will stay up to date with all of the podcast episodes. Also, please provide a review. That way others can find the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have Flora Epe Adang, the CEO and founder of Courage Dolls. Courage Dolls is a multicultural doll company that helps to elevate, educate, and encourage girls of color to be unstoppable. I mean, that is amazing. Welcome to the show, Flora. Hi. Hello. Thank you, Christine. Really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for coming. I'm so excited about this interview. I think you're doing amazing things with your company. So please tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your company, Courage Dolls. Yes, yeah. Um, so as um, you know, everyone out there, um, so as Christine said, my name is Flora. I'm the founder and CEO of Courage Dolls. Um, it's, you know, truly a company that has been with me ultimately since high school, of creating a business that was really centered and focused on just elevating girls of color to be unstoppable and to really see themselves reflected in the toys in the aisle as well as on the screen and other forms of media and just see narratives about them that were positive and uplifting. Um, and so Garage Dolls really came about when I was in high school and I had this thought actually. I um, I was watching this doll test, which a lot of people probably know now. Yeah. It's called the doll experiment, and it was ultimately a test that was done back in the 1940s um, by these two psychologists that wanted to study the effects of segregation on children of color. Um, the children were given a white doll and a black doll, and they were asked various questions such as, which doll is prettier, smarter, all these different mm. And the children were overwhelmingly choosing the white doll when it came to anything positive, as well as choosing the black doll um, when it came to mainly anything negative. And it was something that really was just astounding. And every type of word you could think of that is just really disappointing and distraught of seeing this and knowing that children as young as five and six years old were already having this idea in their mind that they weren't good enough. Mm. Um, and ultimately just having a feeling of internalized racism, if you think about that. And so um, I didn't know at the time what I wanted to do with that thought. I just knew that it was just sad to see that. And the test has been done numerous times ever since that time period. And there's been slight changes, um, but for, for the most part, you still haven't really seen um, much change in just the psychological effects, especially as children of color, not seeing themselves reflected much in our toy shelves, especially with how much demographics have changed. And so I really felt that as time went on um, and I still wasn't seeing much change in my toy aisles, I wanted to do something about that and basically um, change that narrative on our shelves. I think that's amazing. And um, I think the sad thing about that test is that like you said, they've done it numerous times, even more recently, and the results were the same. And um, there was a there's one that I saw where the little boy, who's darker, about my complexion, um, mm. and he picked up the white doll and almost, like, held it with more love and then was very disdainful towards the dark doll, which was very sad because the dark doll looked like him. You know, so that that's yep. a very – every time I see that um, – um, doll test, it, it really makes me, my heart wrench in two because it's so sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. 
even personally, uh, I try my best to be very conscious. Uh, my husband and I, we have two kids. And um, at one point, my daughter, uh, she was playing like a video game and they're able to select the character and um, they had different shades for the character. And we're driving mm. and my daughter, she picked the darkest shade, which is even even darker than she was, but she picked the darkest shade. And my son kept saying, pick the lighter one, pick the lighter one, pick the lighter one. And she was like ignoring him saying, no, I'm picking this shade. And then I turned around and I said, and I asked him, I was like, why do you keep telling him her to pick the lighter one? And she said, he said, because it looks better. And I'm like, I surround my kids with so many like conscious <laughs> like magazines, yeah. everything, and it just shows you. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're my son and you're talking like this. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding uh, me? And he was like, five. I'm like, you know, and it just shows you how strong. Um, you know, this colorism and white yeah. supremacy is, no matter how much you try to shield your kids from it, it, it kind of seeps in through the advertisements or what they see in the shows. Yeah. And I, I mean, you could try so hard, but there is still going to be some kind of impact. Yes. No, every, everything you're saying is absolutely true. And it's, 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 but it's still so unfortunate. It's still so unfortunate in this day and age and yes, you know, there has been some changes on our shelves where some brands are starting to either, you know, try to increase um, some diversity on their shelves and body size or skin tone. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's still not nearly enough because I feel that it's, you know, because the way, you know, I think sometimes brands do it, um, large companies, maybe they're like, okay, well, we're going to have this as the standard, the white doll is the standard. And everything else um, is the kind of like optional. So we're going to add elements here to the eyes, the hair, da da. But if you're not even creating uh, the item like that, that is that first start and start off first, where the most disenfranchised and the most underserved communities. And if you create for that first, then you're able to impact others in the process. And so that's why I wanted to start first with creating black dolls. Like I, when I was first starting the company off, it was. Um, it was just basically just to kind of, you know, go a little off tangent. But when I was in high school, I didn't, after I said I didn't know necessarily what I wanted to do with the, what I'd seen in that documentary, but I just knew that thought always stuck with me. Like, you know, I went to college, you know, went to Pepperdine University, studied advertising, interned at a toy company, Jack Pacific, just to get some exposure to toys. Um, I ended up, you know, working a bit on, um, just helping, uh, on this internship project regarding, um, personalized karaoke machines. I'm not sure if you by chance remember um, there was like this T-Pain auto-tune mic that was very popular. No. No, no. Okay, okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) If you remember T-Pain and how he had an auto-tune voice. Oh, okay. I actually thought it was a great idea. And it was. It actually was a pretty popular idea where it was a toy that allowed your voice to be auto-tuned similar to T-Pain. And so it was like a person yeah. So at the time frame, like at that specific time, I guess, you know, personal kind of karaoke type machines that's for one person was growing right. up. So I was working on a project for that, but oh, that's ultimately, neat. you know. Wait, did I again? No, I said that's neat. Yeah, yeah. It was something unique and everything, but it also just kind of gave me the first glimpses into the toy space. 
But, um, you know, I ended up working in advertising and marketing after that, um, after an internship working on the agency side. But I knew I wanted to go to grad school. I knew I wanted to get my MBA. Um, and I knew as well I was that, that thought of, I didn't know it was called Garage Dolls at the time, but I knew this idea was, was still, still sticking with me of not seeing representation in a toy aisle and wanting to go to a school where I could really focus on figuring out what could this become. And so that's how I found myself a Babson. And that's, that's the way we also met each other. Um, yeah. But it was even during that time. The reason why I bring up just that um, tangent of the story is because, you know, when I was meeting with, uh, you know, someone through an accelerator program, since Babson has this great accelerator program, I was talking to someone and they had mentioned like, oh, so I see that you have, you know, you're looking at focusing on a black doll, but are you going to do a white doll? And, I, you know, initially, because that, that question popped up more than once, um, and at first I was like, well, yeah, I'm gonna, but then over time I was like, you know what, like, I'm not saying I'm not going to, but I want to focus first on the most underserved, and I, I see it as un, um, unseen kind of voices and imagery, and I think that's especially black girls, um, and so that's why I wanted the intention of saying, like, girls of color and starting off first off with a black doll and having that really be the version of the standard. Mhm. Yeah, and I and I like the fact that you stuck with a vision you had from when you were younger. Um it, you never you may not have known how it was going to happen, but you knew you were going to do something about that situation and you stayed focused. Yeah. It definitely was something. When I put my mind to something, it may take it may take a while, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> It took a couple of years, but like I, I felt that the different pathways that I was going was still leading me up to like, no, this this is something that I definitely want to create, and this is a solution, and this is basically a solution that I want to provide in a in a unique way in service of um, audiences that deserve to be seen. And what I like about your dolls too, they also come with the book. You can also buy a book with the doll as well. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And so knowing that, you know, uh, it, the doll is one element. The doll is really, you know, intend to, intended to just really be a version of reflection of, you know, who girls of color look like today. So I didn't want the doll to really be like a fashion doll. I didn't want her to have a story that was so, not necessarily old school, but not a runaway slave. <laughs> kind of narrative. Um, I wanted to be reflective of this girl today who was just going out there and really just, just being amazing. And so um, I wanted to then create a book that would go along ultimately with each doll. And so the Aaliyah character, that's the name of the first doll, um, when I envisioned her, I really thought about this idea. It was kind of a mixture of a friend of mine, um, Ashley, as well as kind of my mind, who I kind of emulated the kind of mindset of Aaliyah off of someone who is kind of an old school mindset who can get along well with adults and just talk to adults. You know, that one kid who's just like, yeah, I know it's an adult business. <laughs> um, like you were here before. <laughs> yes. Yes. But also someone who, uh, a, a character that's funky and um, thinks creatively and is very much always thinking about um, ways to solve things in her local community. And so one thing about the Aaliyah character that I really, what I was envisioning what she even looked like before was the story was I wanted, 
I, I, I wanted her to kind of have this little like notebook that she has. So one thing I always write down ideas that I have, I put it either a random notebook. So I put it on my phone, you can see the notes on my iPhone. It is like, just like, literally lines and lines and lines and lines. <laughs> I'm the same way. Like, it's like, I want to put it in right now. I don't even know. Yeah, right? You're phone. just like, <laughs> right? Inspiration is all around us. Seriously. Yeah. Inspiration is all around us. <laughs> and I wanted that to kind of be emulated with this character, Leah, and just have her have this, like, signature green notebook, if you want to call it that. And uh, so when I started working on creating her story, I wanted her to, you know, be this eight-year-old child, wanted her to be based in Chicago, but wanted it to also serve, you know, as a, a, a situation and a setting that it teaches kids the early principles of entrepreneurship. Of course, coming mm-hmm. out of Boston, of know, course, learning that yeah. the entrepreneurial thought in action mantra, um, it, it, it felt like it was just great timing to have the first character and then the first book really lean into that, that kids, kids today, they're not waiting for adults anymore to go solve all the world's issues. We literally just saw, um, you know, the children who are literally who are going on the climate change strike recently, and it was started by young kids. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing to see the movement that kids are making in this day and age, and I think it's great to have the support of your family and making sure that, you know, it's not something you can do alone, but it, it's astonishing to see what kids are um, leveraging and doing, and so I wanted um, to let other kids know that, hey, as you're thinking about creating a business idea or if you're wanting to create some change in your community in an impactful way, um, here's some early, you know, principal foundations lens. Not saying it teaches you all the things about it, but through the lens of an eight-year-old character who really um, just goes out there and just does what she feels is right for her community. So it's truly an uplifting and empowering story, and you really get to engage with Aaliyah as she learns the ups and downs that entrepreneurship is definitely something you cannot do alone. It takes right. definitely a village and first utilizing the resources that you have um, to really build up um, to what impact and just remembering what are you doing it for or who are you doing it for. Um, right. So that's kind of, you know, why the book is called Don't Give Up Aaliyah because it's very much about um, perseverance and um, taking the stride and just, you know, having a great support system because entrepreneurship is definitely something that is hard if you just try to do it completely alone. That is true. So with your forthcoming um, dolls, would they have books with them as well? Yes, that is definitely the intention. I'm okay. ultimately looking to revolutionize the American girl and call it the new American girl. Oh, <laughs> kind of I like, like you know, it's it's like really trying to you know, I'm all about starting a, you know, different revolutions. But revolution is not like, okay, I'm gonna go strike, but revolutions in the world right. like how do we how do we really you know, really change up um what is on our shelves, what kids are being exposed to, and helping them develop their de- early development, especially, um, you know, uh, we haven't yet fully developed the next book and story yet and the doll, but looking at the lens of focusing on an Afro-Latina um, child um, and thinking about, you know, really honing in on the spaces of, like, um, STEM or thinking still about what that narrative is going to be, but knowing especially, like, issues of colorism very much ex- exist. In yeah. the Latino Latina community, um, and uh, especially there's still a lot of issues there, and so um, I, I would love, ideally, if it's possible, it's still being figured out. But I would love, ideally, for the even if the, um, the book to be bilingual, um, that is something mm, I that's good. Fine. That's a, that's gonna take, of course, a lot of elements to figure because I don't speak, um, you know, enough Spanish to be able to do so that. 
I would take on bringing, you know, on a partner to help craft that. But I think um, there's just so many great narratives and so many inspirations of um, young children today that I think um, just, just serves as some version of inspiration I think can inspire other children and their families about how to be empowered and uplifted. Yeah, and I like the fact that your first book talks about the ups and downs of business, and I'm sure um, you have experienced that as well with um, your doll company. Car- Cor- I mispronounced it the first time, Courage Dolls, right? Yeah. I just want to correct yeah. myself. And yeah. both of, you and I attended Babson College, and, you know, it's all about entrepreneurship. Um, but what is so different about doing entrepreneurship rather than just learning about mm-hmm. it? I'm sure you could write a book about that yourself, which you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. You should consider paying me for that. Um, but that's a very good question because when you're in a classroom um, learning about just the fundamentals of, like, hey, how to do your financial forecast or what is it like to have the supply chain process and know this when – I remember distinctly as an example, like taking the supply chain class during my elective at Babson, and I was literally in the process of working with my manufacturer, um, um, my first manufacturer on my doll, and ultimately it was a very, very large learning curve. Um, someone who comes from the creative agency side, I was like, okay, I can just, you know, find this manufacturer. Then I can give them the design, bam, they create the doll, produce it, send it to me. Everything goes smoothly well, I approve it, bam, they go make thousands of the dolls and I go sell it. That's how easy it is. Nope. (laughs) That I was very much (laughs) like not, um, the the class didn't necessarily go in the weeds of all the ups and downs (laughs) of uh, what the issues that happen when you don't necessarily have a good manufacturer or have a good true understanding of those type of operations or logistics. And so, um, for instance, my first manufacturer, unfortunately, like, I'll be honest, they screwed me over. Um, you know, I found them through a um, Kickstarter campaign. I saw um, this other toy company um, that had mentioned that they used them. And I was like, okay, you know, at the time at Babson, I was kind of asking around and talking to a lot of people trying to find a manufacturer. But it was hard. It's hard to find a toy manufacturer. First off, it was like none really in the U.S. Really? There's, if, you, if you're looking for a plush toy, like a teddy bear type of um, item or um, cloth type of material, dolls or things of that nature, yes, but it's really hard if you're looking at like plastic or soft vinyl. Um, those are predominantly made in Asia. Like hmm. I, think, I think my, if I'm not mistaken and it's not 100% correct, but I think at least like 90% plus of dolls are made wow. in Asia. And so you very much, so if you don't have a direct contact, to someone in Asia for a toy company, it's kind of hard to find out what manufacturer to trust, what's the process to go through to get one. And, you know, I connected with this manufacturer that I uh, I saw through the Kickstarter campaign. Their company was based in California. um, So they did product development. So they can 3D model the, the, the doll, do packaging and design in California. But the manufacturer itself was in China, and so they were kind of the middle person, if you want to call it. Okay. So I never actually, I never actually spoke to the manufacturer in China. I just worked with the team in California throughout the entire process, and everything seemed ultimately well. The day, just just a very quick side note: the day that I officially was like, okay, I'm going to work on getting my manufacturer. 
ironically enough, it was the day that Trump got inaugurated. <laughs> and oh, so because I was like, oh, I, I was like, okay, I just cannot watch the TV right now. Let me go do something protect, productive for my business. So on the same day he got inaugurated, that was when I um, officially reached out to the manufacturer. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work on this. And, you know, things are going smoothly in terms of understanding just like, hey, what is the process? Is this a doll made? Um, what type of materials? At that time, I had already had the 3D design of the doll. I worked, I used this company called 99designs. 99, 99 I love it. Yeah, that's a really good yeah, company. Yeah, like, yeah, a friend had recommended. And so I just kind of put out this, you know, request for a proposal, just describing what type of doll I was looking for. And I put a collage together of 50 different faces of young black girls. Like, I just went online and I just said, like, oh. I want this doll to look like a real authentic girl. And it okay. does. It really does. It, thank really you. Doll. Thank you. Thank you. And so when I put this collage together and then I described what I wanted, I found this great engineer who designed it on um, the first iteration of Aaliyah in a really great way. So great way. So once I had that design and that 3D CAD file, then I went to the manufacturer and then I, you know, was like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. And so, you know, I'm, you know, would want her hair like this or want this like that. Hey, okay, great. We can do it. We can do it. Timeline, contract design. Then I, you know, I made my first payment. And initially I was seeing like, okay, they, you know, were showing me images so far of like, okay, this is what they had to make an update to the cat file because I guess the nose maybe wasn't um, shaped in a certain way to allow for it to be pre-printed before they actually do the molding, blah, blah, blah. And then we were discussing hair and eye color. So things were going smoothly at first. And then by the time they said I was in existence in January, the doll was supposed to be done by, say, like May, um, if I'm not mistaken, or mid-March. I think I think it was March. I think it was supposed to be mid-March. And I was going to plan to do a crowdfunding campaign by the time before I graduated Babson. Because so I was like, great, La- you know, get the doll before I graduate Babson, launch my Kickstarter, bam. Everything goes smoothly. Nope, not at all. And um, my, you know, once I finished my payment for the doll, wow. that's, when things, that's when things started to change. And it very much changed just at a drop of a dime in which my manufacturer wasn't giving me the updates regularly. When I would email them, they were not responding to my emails on time. They were not sending me images of the next uh, iterations of the doll, of things we had discussed. Oh, my gosh. That must have been scary. Yeah, I would call them. And this is while, you know, this is while I'm still at Babson, still a student, and you're managing, you know, this is like, you know, second to last quarter, or last semester, if you want to say, or last semester. So trying to figure out everything. And um, I remember, you know, I'll be posting on social media like, hey, Kickstarter is coming soon, da, da, da. We'll give people updates and newsletters. While on the other lens, I'm like, what is going on with my manufacturer? Like, it's now hitting March, and I don't have the full doll completed. And hmm. then when I started calling them, um, they were like, hey, you know, um, I thought they were like, we had a situation happen. We went to Asia to go check on the doll, and we realized that our manufacturer never really started. Oh my gosh. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. How, how, what? I was like, but you're, you're sending, like, how? They're like, yeah, they never really started, so we decided to change the company and we're, you we're now using a different manufacturer. And I was like, you didn't care to tell me any of it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. They, yeah. This is, 
I like literally this happened and I was about to just break down and just cry because I was so frustrated. This is now like April or so. So time's already gone by, a lack of female response. I'm like, I'm the client and you you made these decisions I've been telling me and then you're going to the way like, well, we had to do what was best. And I was like, well, then what's best is to make sure I'm involved in this thought and understanding and being transparent. Like, we were now passing our deadline on things. Like, what? Like, they were like, we apologize, blah, blah, blah. And then um, I started working directly with their manager. Instead of the project manager, I was like, okay, the, the manager of the company said, okay, he'll help move things along. But then he was even less responsive to my emails. Oh my and over time, like, it just started to get really frustrated. But it was now, like, hitting May. Um, so this is after we graduated by now. Hitting late May, June, he was like, yeah, I was like, I, you know, I just put, I just put my money back. I feel like we're running around in circles. I'm not really seeing much updates. Like, I'm getting very frustrated. They're like, oh no, we're making movements on things. Like, I'm gonna send you the hair samples. I was like, I haven't even seen what the eye color looks like. It's, it's all these things that be just stalling for so long. And, um, like, long story short, and I make it as extra long, but basically, like, I never really got, um, the doll that I wanted. Like, I, I, when I basically said, I'm basically probably gonna, like, sue you because you already breached the contract. I don't have what I, you know, you have That's not, horrible. <laughs> yeah, you haven't shown me really all the elements of the doll. And they're like, well, we can't get your money back now. It's so late in the game. And I was like, but whose fault is that? I flew out, so I flew out to California and met with the manager, and I brought all the documents of everything that was our email correspondence, everything, and he was ultimately not the best person, the nicest person, and basically was like, well, we try to do everything we can, but, like, you seem to want more and more of this, more. I was like, I, I wanted my doll. I was that asking for more. I want what I paid for. Um, so I had to get um, contact of one of my friends who's a lawyer, just to get their take on things, and I met with a lawyer, and just like, you know, still having conversations regarding national legal lens, but ultimately, I just never got my money back, and I never got that stuff. Oh my gosh, you were able to get your money back? I wasn't able to get my money back. Wow. So, that's something you don't necessarily <laughs> learn in school in that way. Um, it was it was something that was um, very painful, and frustrating to um, go through that experience, especially while I'm just still wrapping up school. And I felt like it was such a letdown because I was like, man, I had told people that I was, you know, going to have this Kickstarter campaign. I was building up my email list and I was, you know, picking an event for this. And then I didn't have, a, the guy, he shipped me the doll right before I was going to come out to California and confront him. And I never opened the box. Because I knew it wasn't like I saw an image that he posted on uh, my and he emailed me the hair I never selected that hair I didn't choose what like it was it, the doll that you see now was not like that had, you know I I'll explain that story but that wasn't the initial doll that um that was initially created and it was just a it was a lot of like hard lessons learned from working, you know, with the wrong um, partner and, and, and taught me a lot in regards to ensuring that, okay, what are the questions I'm making sure I'm asking, what is in contract, making sure who am I going to for advice, um, and then trusting and making sure that you're getting what you asked for. Yeah, yeah. And and that really leads me to my next question was, 
you know, what advice would you give to someone who's listening and you're inspiring them to start their own business? And what do you think they should do? Like, what are the top five things that they should be mindful of? Yeah, I think um, definitely the top five. So one thing I think to be mindful of starting a business is definitely do your research. Definitely, definitely um, do, do, do your research. Like, for me, I did my research in regards to understanding the landscape of the toy industry and, you know, understanding, meeting, I probably met with over 100 plus people between kids and adults and experts in different spaces to understand more about the toy industry. I would go and visit Toys R Us and Target and Walmart um, and just go and sit in the aisles and just literally see how people were interacting on shelves and what well, they pick on the toy and the doll aisle. Um, all these learnings, like Internet Hasbro. Um, so it, I, doing the research, I definitely took a good amount of time doing research and development, um, but definitely the supply chain side, the manufacturer side, I wasn't as knowledgeable in. Um, uh, and so definitely learned through that further when I got my next manufacturer, but definitely research. Secondly, I would say that, um, you know, just having, just trying to surround yourself with, with, with great people, great people who are willing to help um, between mentors, between just colleagues and peers, people who are not remotely interested in the same industry as you or anything, but just like having just genuine friends that you can go to and just like take a break from everything and just relax. Um, but I, I will say, um, you know, it was, it was Jennifer. It was Jennifer Pierre, who was, you know, other Babson student who had actually connected me to her manufacturer. She also has a toy mm. company. And so she connected me to her manufacturer um, because, you know, I told her everything that happened with my first manufacturer, and she connected me to hers, and that was a blessing. And I always genuinely thank her for that because that is what ultimately got me to my Ilya doll today, having wow. a next great manufacturer, a great – and so definitely having a great network of people and support is definitely important. I think for number three, um, making sure you take breaks. You can be so boggled down. <laughs> and so in the weeds right. of things, and you could be so consumed, and you're like, no, go out and go to the movies. Go make sure you just Netflix binge that favorite show of yours. Like, <laughs> go on that date. You know, go swipe on somebody. I don't know. Like, <laughs> go get time. Make it. Make sure you make time to just pray and meditate. Um, have your time to just like really focus on your spirituality and health and wellness. Um, and so I think I think sometimes. As an entrepreneur, especially when you're starting off by yourself, um, it's just you. Um, but you need to have that time just to, like, take advantage of how beautiful life can be around you. But sometimes when you're so much in the weeds of things, you may not see that. And that can really affect you. Um, and so I think that's important. Four, um, literally just um, continue, I think, paying attention to, like, reading or always learning. Never stop learning. Um, so even if you think you've succeeded in a milestone of your company, there's always new um, learning technology, um, things to learn about your audience, your consumers, um, insights to learn, um, or things tools to try out. Um, so it, it keeps changing. I think marketing and spaces of technology are changing so quick that it is important to just stay on top of those things. And I think number five, um, you know, uh, just knowing that, like, you know, definitely think about the fact that, like, you know, you need funds to keep a business running. <laughs> you got to be paying yeah. attention to things of finances. So even if, you know, I, I always tell people, like, hey, if you do, you know, as you're starting off, if you do have a full-time job while you're also working on your business, like, there's nothing to be ashamed about that. 
Like, yeah. you know, especially for us as women of color, there is still a lot of barriers when it comes to getting the proper funding and capital um, to support our businesses and build the proper team. So um, it's like, no, still get the money you need, but also making sure you're looking for those resources to build the funding and just paying attention to um, how you're budgeting. Yeah, I, I agree, especially with the last one, because I, I know right now it's very in vogue to be an entrepreneur, but people have to be honest, like, hey, you know, build up your business while you're building up your 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 money situation because it makes yeah. it a lot easier and a lot less stressful when you are running your business and you're financially secure and you're not as desperate. So you could kind of, you know, take your time to build your company because I really believe it's a marathon and not a sprint. And um, in a yeah. day and age where they're like, hey, yeah, this person raised $10 million. And yes. yeah, but I mean, most people who have businesses, successful businesses, it takes time. It takes years. And mm-hmm. um, as it's taking years, we're all getting older. and We have to make sure that we are financially secure as well. Yeah. I think the saddest thing is when I see people who are building a business and they put everything in the business and then they yeah. are, they themselves are starving and it's not right, and I don't think that's what entrepreneurship is about. But um, those I, are really – huh? I know. I, I really agree with that statement. I yeah. really agree with that statement. Yeah. But, hey, this is awesome. These are awesome um, tips. Do your research. Two, surround yourselves with good people. Three, making sure you take a break. Four, pay attention to learning. There's always so many things to learn. And five, stay, pay, pay attention to your finances here personal finances as well as your business finances. So we have our rapid fire questions, just so the audience know a little bit about you. So um, these are just like quick questions, just so everyone can know a little bit about Flora. Uh, So the first one is, what's your superpower? Ooh, what's my superpower? Um, I feel my superpower is, you know, I, I, I think it's like, storytelling like yeah. um i like i when i was at Babson, i hated pitching i thought it was the worst thing ever um <laughs> and you know at Babson, they always want to the story so i was like it's, it's shark tank i swear i started the idea from Babson college um, but, <laughs> yeah shark tank every day <laughs> yeah shark tank every day but over time um the idea of just sharing stories like even now like i'm actually like tomorrow meeting with a friend of mine to help her in her presentation. She's doing a presentation coming up, and I feel that connecting with different people and trying to understand and read the room, read body language, um, and having that gift to tell just powerful stories because, as as that saying goes, like, as Maya Angelou always has said, like, people may forget what you said or what you did, but they won't won't forget how you made them feel. And so I think there's such a beautiful way of stories that – really just enriching and I and I and I enjoy, you know, in terms of like just doing storytelling and trying to really get to the emotional connection of what makes people connect. And I think that is what I try to do with Karaj dolls and what I try to do my day to day life. And okay. Uh the second one is your favorite vacation spot. Ooh, my favorite vacation spot. Well, maybe it, it, that may be coming soon because in a couple of weeks I'm going to Thailand for the first time. Oh, nice. I hear so it's beautiful there. Yes, that is the that's like basically the only vacation I'm taking this year. Um, and so I'm taking a good two weeks off. My mom retired from work after 30 years. Oh, congratulations. 30 this year. 
Yes. And so it was kind of this great milestone and an opportunity to just go and just relax. And so I've been looking forward to Thailand for years. And so I'm really, really, really excited. Yeah, my sister-in-law went there with her family. And she said it was one of her best vacations. And she's traveled to numerous countries. And she said the food was amazing. So I'm sure you're going to have a great time. Oh, yeah. I love, love, love Thai food. And so... (laughs) I, I'm just, I'm just so excited. I'm going to Bangkok, Chiang Mai, and Phuket. So nice. I'm, I'm overjoyed and just excited. So I hope for that to become my favorite new vacation. Right. All right. The third question is, if you were to choose to live in the beach or the mount, uh, the beach or the mountains. Um, beach. Beach. I'm a Pisces. I'm a Pisces. And so, so it's all about the water. <laughs> we love that water. That water sign. <laughs> I can't swim. But I do love the water, right? <laughs> I'll just stand um, by the side. <laughs> and enjoy. I mean, there's still a lot of beauty. In just I live in South Florida, and no one goes to the beach as often as you'll think down here. And I was talking to my husband. He's like, how come no one goes to the beach? I'm like, we just like the fact that it's there. I mean, you go and you like to see it. You don't always have to be in the water. But yeah, but when you do go in the water, you enjoy it too. But you you like the fact that you feel yes. that, that sea breeze, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, yep. The fourth question, favorite book? Favorite book, um, I love, love, love uh, Toni Morrison's The Blue Eye. That, is, that was a very good know, book. When when she passed away, I was like, dang, but she's left such an amazing legacy. And yeah. she is someone that I truly respect in terms of how un- unapologetic she always was. Yeah. And you knew who was she writing for, and you knew what she was, what, why she was writing, what she wrote in the, the work. It, it is just, it's gonna live on for, it's gonna live on for generations. I don't see and, her work yeah. stop. I see it continuing for generations, and that is a gift that she has of storytelling. And what's amazing is that one day, 30, 40 years ago, 40 years from now, someone who's 21 years old might say, wow, this book is amazing. Have you ever heard of this book, The Bluest Eye? And I think that's the great mm-hmm. thing about storytelling is that it just lives on. Art always lives on. Years after yes. the person's gone, it's still there. Yeah. So Tony, favorite movie. Uh, oh, sorry? No, I was saying just Tony. Well, man, that was, that was yeah. a sad one to say, but she left such such a great legacy. She did. I, I'll have to say mine with her was um, Sula. I like Sula a lot, mm-hmm. and I like jazz. Those are my two favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um yes. favorite favorite movie. What's your favorite movie? Oh, it's gonna be cheesy, but Titanic. Titanic, Titanic. <laughs> you're a Titanic fan. <laughs> it has everything. I will go to a debate with anybody who says that Titanic was a bad movie. I say it's one of the greatest movies ever because it has drama, it has romance, it has action. It has a little bit of comedy. <laughs> not saying yeah. that the, the scenes where people are dying, that's not comedy. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying specifically right. no, no, the, the beginning scenes. But, and I love Leonardo DiCaprio. So I, I've i had that movie since VHS when it was two VHS tapes for that movie oh my gosh. for so long. So I still have that in my parents' home in this package. So in case anything ever happens, I look on eBay prices, and maybe the VHS version will make a lot of money. I don't know. I'll be prepared. I'll be prepared. But, um, but I will say that Titanic is 
It's a, that's another thing that's just going to keep on going. You're going to keep on seeing that movie be released. It's going to be like those Disney movies that all come back out of the vault. But like yeah. Gonna, this movie's going to come back out of, no, I was going to say the ocean, but that sounds really weird and really off, so I'm not going to say that. So Yeah, um, but, yeah but yeah, but people love Titanic. I mean, yeah, I, I was, I'm going to say it's one of my favorite movies, but people love it. People love it. And mm-hmm. um, there was, we were in Tennessee, uh, and there's like this Titanic museum. Like, um, yes, I've been to it. I oh, you have? I have been to it. Love and it. my it dad loved it. Uh, where was Gottenberg? Um, got, yeah, Gottenberg, Tennessee. Yes, they, they yeah, moved but, it a bit. But yes, I have been to it and it's amazing. Okay. So you, Bill, I'll have to watch Titanic for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, it always comes on TNT or TBS. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, <laughs> but it's been great to catching up with you. And um, how can listeners learn more about Courage? I, I keep I don't want to mispronounce it. Courage, oh, no, right? No problem. Yeah. So it so definitely um feel free to check us out. Um, Courage Dolls. You can find us um on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Courage Dolls. C O R A G E D O L L S. Um, you can also check us out on our website at www.caragedolls.com, um, where you can sign up for our newsletter. So since we're going to be heading into the holiday season, we're, you know, planning on kind of launching some new um, um, elements to the brand just in time for the holiday season. So definitely, you know, get your Leah doll and book as you think about your little ones for the holiday season, but also just to stay aware of kind of um, exciting news and information and just, if you really if you care about representation, that representation matters. Definitely show us that love. Awesome. Yeah, think of Courage dolls when you're shopping this this holiday season. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. doll to give to nieces, cousins, daughters, everyone. Thanks so much, yeah. Laura. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much, Christine. Truly appreciate this conversation. And thank you for what you're doing and the narratives and stories that you're getting a chance to tell and share with others. Oh, Definitely thanks, Laura. Thanks. All right.